Hello, this is David Shirley from Irish Funds. In this episode, we are bringing you the regulators panel discussion from the Irish Funds UK Symposium in November, which covers their key areas of focus for the year ahead. It's moderated by Eve Finn of Legal and General Investment Management, and the panel includes Jerry Cross from the Central Bank of Ireland, Nick Miller from the Financial Conduct Authority, and Jonathan Lipkin from the Investment Association. I hope you enjoy this and check back soon for more great content. Welcome everyone, this is the regulators panel, um, so we're going to focus on a few key areas. Um, there is lots that Jonathan has just talked about um, and covered off in his uh, keynote address. Uh, we'll, we'll have 35 minutes to go through some of it. Uh, we may not get through all of it, uh, but we'll hopefully have an interesting discussion. Um, as Sarah mentioned at the beginning, we're hoping this will be an interactive session, um, so please do use Slido. Um, for questions and there'll be a mic going at the end and we'll leave some, leave some, uh, some time for questions. Um, you'll probably notice that I'm joined uh, by two people on stage um, and Jerry Cross, uh, who's magically appearing on screen, uh, is joining us virtually. Um, uh, so obviously the, the, the benefit or the, uh, the beautiful thing about the adaptations that we've had to make uh, post-COVID is that we're all getting used to working in both a virtual world and an in-person world. Um, so we're bringing you this hybrid panel today uh, to show the fact that we can do both, which is great. Um, so just to introduce who we've got, obviously you've just heard Jonathan and his remarks. Um, to uh, my left here is Nick Miller. Uh, Nick is the Head of Asset Management Department uh, within the Investment Wholesale and Specialist Supervision Division, Supervision Division at the FCA, and known to many of you, I'm sure. Uh, and on screen is Jerry Cross. Uh, Jerry is the Director of Financial Regulation Policy and Risk, um, and he leads uh, the Central Bank's work on Prudential Market Conduct, and for those who know it, PRISM. Uh, so obviously a very esteemed panel um, and uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Eve Finn, I'm the MD of Elgin in Ireland. Uh, so we're going to canter through a few different points, uh, but please do think about your questions as we go. Um, and I should say, obviously Sarah mentioned that we're, we're going to observe a minute silence uh, at 11 o'clock, so I may have to stop the panel in the middle and then we can resume, but I think it's important that we, that we mark that point. Um, so, uh, we just heard from Jonathan, he's had six different things that he talked about uh, in terms of areas of focus that the industry uh, should be looking at. Um, would be great to get the regulator's perspective, see if you agree with what Jonathan has just said, if there's anything else that you'd add to it, and um, thinking forward about what the industry should be focused on. So maybe we'll start with Nick from the SCA's perspective and then we'll move to Jerry. Yeah, sure, thank you and morning everybody, great to be here in, in person. I think. Uh, Jonathan outlined a really important set of issues, and I certainly agree with um, that kind of uh, horizon scanning that he's done. He's, he's pulled out all of the key strategic issues, which are many and varied, I think, for this sector. But I certainly agree that it's a really important uh, inflection point for, for, for firms in the asset management space, both, as he says, in terms of an opportunity, a real opportunity to demonstrate value and purpose, uh, but also some challenges, some of them, of course, coming from the uh, regulator. I particularly enjoyed the uh, laboratory analogy, by the way. I will be using that one um, more often, but there will, be, uh, there will be other challenges coming as well. Um, and I think we'll get on to the questions around ESG and international consistency, which are obviously really important. Um, but uh, uh, as Jonathan mentioned, a, a really powerful and important set of proposals coming out of the FCA in recent days as uh, in the context of COP26 and the government's policy. So we'll get more into that in detail, I'm sure. We will, absolutely. Thanks, Nick. Um, Jerry, it'd be good to get your views on, uh, on, Nick's rem or on uh, Jonathan's remarks and indeed Nick's, um, and whether you think there are other areas of focus from the Irish perspective and the regulatory side of things. 
Hi, thanks, Eve, uh, and good morning to you and, and, and to all. It's great to be with you uh, in this in this hybrid um, context. Um, so yeah, look, I, I thought how Jonathan uh, set out and arranged his six uh, key aspects was was really interesting, and I would agree with a great deal of it. Um, uh, for ourselves uh, at the Central Bank of Ireland, we have actually just this week published our new five-year strategy. You can find it on, on our website. And, and I think this tries to get a grip at a, at a high level in terms of what we would be prioritizing. Uh, some of the things we've talked about here. So uh, there are four themes set out there, uh, sort of centered around our role of sort of safeguarding, whether that be financial stability, price stability, consumer and investor interests. But around that, then, sort of three if like dynamic themes, the, the, the importance of the future focus at this phase. And that, I think, is very consistent with what others have said this morning. Um, the importance of being open and engaged. I think one of the things that we think, and Jonathan talked about communication, that's really important at this stage and at this moment, um, that from our point of view as a central bank and as a regulator, that we, we deepen that discussion and, and, and discourse with a whole range of stakeholders from citizens, users of financial services, businesses, the real economy, um, financial sector, etc. And then finally, a, a theme of, of transformation, how we, as organizations, as, as a regulator and central bank, how we become more agile, uh, more effective in our use of technology to deliver better on, on our, on our um, mandate. Specifically, I think just again, I very much agree with some of the things that have been said there. So, at the heart, I think of priorities for us would be obviously consumer and investor interests and how they're secured, climate and transition, and the the role the financial sector can play in that transition to a net carbon economy. Tech, of course, I think Jonathan described that very well. Um, for us, the Central Bank of Ireland, the whole issue and very relevant today is non-bank finance, and it's uh, increasingly uh, important role in how the uh, economy is, is financed, and of course, uh, issues around culture. So there's a whole, whole range of things very much in line uh, with what um, Jonathan said. Uh, very briefly, in terms of the fund sector itself, I think we will come back to this, sort of lessons from the COVID period of turbulence, March, April last year, very important that we uh, learn from that and, 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 and take forward the lessons from it. Um, for us in Ireland, very much still a focus on um, that piece around the um, fund management companies and their governance, the so-called CP86 directors. And that's really important, I think, in, in the context of discussions that are going on around a delegation and the international uh, integration of the fund sector. And then also there's the, there's the ESMO um, common supervisory action relation to costs and fees, which again, I think is, is something very important. So look, there's lots of things. I'll stop there. Hopefully that gives you some sense of what we're focused on. Great. Thanks, Jerry. Yes, there, there certainly is a lot. I think uh, we, we might be here for a few hours if we <laughs> tried to get into all of them. So um, I think you touched on a nice point, Jerry, just in terms of COVID. And I know it's been peppered through the introductory remarks earlier today in terms of what the industry has been through, um, what we've all had to adapt to and uh, manage through. And obviously last uh, March, April, etc., the market volatility um, was like nothing we had experienced before as an industry. Um, it would be good to get... Um, you know, our, uh, our panelists' opinion about how well the fund sector, the asset management sector, 
um, manage through that. I know Pat called out in his opening remarks how resilient the sector is and how great it's, it's been to see everybody come through it. Um, but Jerry, you mentioned you know, the lessons learned from it um, and, and what we as an industry could be looking at. So it would be good to get the industry association's view on it and also the regulator's view on do you think there are things to be learned from it? How well do you think the industry held up? And you know, if you do think there are reforms or things that need to happen, where would your focus areas be? So maybe we'll start with Jonathan. Um, and then we'll go around the houses. Great, thanks. Um, I mean, this is um, th this is something that I'd like to have had time to, to talk a little bit more about. It's, it's incredibly important, and I, and I think I would I would start by saying that um, it, yes, the industry was um, I think remarkably resilient in in many respects um, through the COVID crisis uh, in terms of continuity um, of, of delivery and a whole range of aspects of how we were able to serve our customers. But it doesn't mean that we're complacent. Um, or that there are not lessons to learn. And, and when we think about um, March and April, and actually when we think about the broader debate on fund liquidity that has been actually ongoing now for uh, pretty much over a decade, um, there are lessons to learn. And um, we, we have done a lot of work already um, at the IA um, on areas that the FPC, the Financial Policy Committee, has identified uh, liquidity measurement, um, the, the, the better alignment of fund uh, 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 liquidity tools with the liquidity of the underlying assets. That takes us into the area of, of long-term asset funds in particular, but, but also it draws attention to the need for there to be a broader liquidity toolkit. Um, and, and we're also um, thinking um, about pricing um, as well. Maybe we can come back to that, because although we see um, pricing mechanisms as incredibly important, um, in terms of how we treat unit holders. We're not necessarily certain uh, that they are core liquidity management tools. Um, but the point I want to make is that I think we need to make a distinction between the need to ensure that practice is continually improved, there's greater consistency, a distinction between that engagement and, and, and willingness on the part of the industry to work and an assumption that that, that is a recognition that we are a source of systemic risk. Um, and I think the difference still, particularly between the industry internationally and parts of the regulatory, particularly the prudential regulatory community, is that we still don't find an accord on the narrative of, 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 of what happened uh, through, through March, April 2020, or indeed what has happened previously, in terms of some of the things that are being said about uh, the, the, the sort of apparent equation between systemic significance and systemic risk. And so I think it's just very important to set that out because if you start by saying systemically significant doesn't mean systemically risky, uh, it gives the impression that we're not being thoughtfully engaged about liquidity. We are, but we need to kind of pull these things apart and work through them in a way that is proportionate and most effective. Do you agree, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, I agree with uh, agree with a lot of that. I've said um, uh, on several occasions publicly that the industry uh, came through that extremely high period of volatility um, 18 months or so ago uh, rather well. I think it validated the fact that certainly at the FCA and other regulators across the world have been focused very much on operational risk, and uh, this is a sector where there is a lot of operational risk. It's highly outsourced, highly intermediated. Um, uh, you know, and it's not just about fund liquidity, there are issues around your dealing functions, your outsource providers and so on. So um, uh, as Jonathan says, 
even though um, uh, we came through uh, that crisis without material disruption, uh, with one exception uh, around money market funds, which I'll talk about in just a moment, um, uh, you know, again, we need to learn the lessons from, from, from that period. But also, I think we just need to recognize that the concept of risk that perhaps applied five, ten years ago is changing rapidly. I mean, it's not just about COVID and the risk of global pandemics. It's about climate change. It's about, um, you know, uh, uh, a range of risks that might have seen like tail risks, um, extreme events, uh, you know, some time ago and now actually very much uh, front and centre and, and risks that we need to face and we need to think about carefully. And that's absolutely true of the asset management industry, which has this very privileged role of overseeing the savings of uh, citizens across uh, the UK and Europe. Um, it's, a, it's a really important element of how you should be thinking about your governance and your risk frameworks um, is, is op risk. And it's not just limited to fund liquidity, as I say. On money market funds, I think there are issues there we need to look at. That's, there's an ongoing active debate uh, internationally around that. Uh, I won't say um, more about that. I'm happy to take questions on it, but I do think it's, um, it's a challenging question. And I think, um, it's slightly to Jonathan's point, the industry needs to clarify its position and narrative around some of this um, because uh, it is, these are very subtle issues, um, but they can have uh, big, big impacts. So, um, uh, it's really important that, that um, uh, the industry's position is clear here because I think uh, these are debates that are really important. They are going to be ongoing and we need to kind of ensure that we get good outcomes that are, that are proportionate and efficient. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree the proportionate and efficient given the amount that's going on, yes. giving the right um, output for investors, I think, is the key focus. Right, Jerry, um, your thoughts would be helpful in terms of uh, the last few months, 20 months. Thanks, Eve. So, so, yeah, look, I think, first of all, lo lots of very positive things uh, to mention. I think I mean, the first really positive thing is that because we have, since the previous crisis, because we have built and there has evolved a, a, a very diversified system of funding of the economy, we were inherently in a better position uh, going into, of course, the, the banking sector was, was better supervised, was better uh, capitalized and uh, uh, positioned and resilient for that, uh, but also the diversity that, 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 that is there was, I think, really helpful. I think, as Nick says and as Johnson says, the, the resilience in the face of the operational disruption that was uh, evidenced um, by the fund sector and, and across the fund sector was, was really uh, a positive thing. And, and, and I remember there were days where we were sort of thinking, how, how will the outsourcing to, to various uh, jurisdictions as COVID had its impact across those jurisdictions? And, transport was affected, etc. How it set up. And I think it all stood up on the whole very well. So lots of positives. And to, to come to the question then of, of sort of systemic risk, and um, I think there absolutely um, we did learn from that period uh, about vulnerabilities that are there and that we had sort of thought maybe there and then I think we did see them. And I don't think this is a a cause of contention. I think it's sort of a, it's a natural evolution of where we are. That as the uh, the role of the non-bank sector has grown, um, we will find out more and we will learn more. So I think it's very positive that we always had this real-life um, stress test of the sector. Uh, you know, and lots of things up very well. But I, I think there were things and there are vulnerabilities that we need we need to think about. Um, so I, I agree with what Jonathan says that we shouldn't be in a sort of position. Oh, look. The fund sector is a source of systemic risk. I don't think it's not. For me, it's a question of, you know, did they play a role in absorbing risk or in amplifying it, or potentially amplifying it? And I think it's very important to, to you know, to, to remember 
that the central banks did need to intervene and that that, that was what calmed things down so, so the counterfactual of where it would have got to uh, we, we don't know but we, we saw clearly nick has mentioned uh, in the money market funds and clearly there, there's, a, there's an issue there we also saw clearly in relation to um funds with a um, less liquid profile invested in, in, in more liquid assets uh, there was clear evidence of the first mover dynamic and i think that's really important so it 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 it, it, it didn't because of the interventions it didn't um escalate and, and, and ramify in, in the system but there's no doubt that that's a vulnerability uh, and that we do need to come on and learn the lesson i think together learn the lesson. I, mean, I think that sort of the, what we're seeing is the, the role for the non-bank non-bank financial sector has grown terrifically uh, and for that to continue we really need to just make sure we get these things right uh, and I think that's that's important so let's be clear about what, what the vulnerabilities were and how we best address it and, and to be clear I very much agree with what Jonathan what you say um, but this is not about applying prudential regulatory concepts to the to the fund sector they, they, they are specific risks and we need to come at them uh, with the mindset that this is, this is about a, uh, the way things work in a very different sector than the bank sector for example great very interesting and, and i think there's a lot drawn out there that i'm sure lots of people in the room will have felt and and good to hear some of the positives because i think people have worked very hard have been through quite a lot and it is great to see um a lot of the mechanisms that were put in place from the decade previous come into their own when when the sector were tested again during um 2020 so, so that's interesting but peppered through a lot of what we've talked about here we've mentioned liquidity and we can't avoid that um that topic as jonathan mentioned it's been uh, it's been with us for for more than a decade at this point and um, i suppose taking taking that point about systemic risk taking the point about the different um value chain that we've got um across the financial services um, piece, talking about liquidity management for a moment and thinking about whether the asset management community and the fund sector, do we, you know, are there lessons to be learned? Do you guys view that we've got the right mechanisms in place to be able to manage events like we saw last year? Is there other things that you think the funds industry, the asset management community should be looking at doing or indeed the regulatory community are looking at doing? Um, maybe we'll just uh, give, give kind of quick quick summaries on that so we, we've got some time. but. Um, Let's start with start with Dick this time. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's a really important issue. I don't think it's if you like it's a problem that's ever going to be solved. And this liquidity is dynamic; it changes uh, intraday, and therefore you're you're constantly going to have to be managing this risk and ensuring that you're um, thinking about it strategically. We 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 are clear that in the UK. It's the, um, it's the boards of the AFMs who are ultimately responsible for the liquidity risk framework. Um, and it's important that they have that oversight and they're clear on how their managers are, are approaching liquidity risks. And of course, it's, it's important that managers uh, manage their liquidity appropriately, including uh, the liability side of the balance sheet. That's an area that's often overlooked. It's important that you're doing stress tests properly um, uh, and thinking about genuinely you know, uh, severe but plausible uh, events and we've just you know we talked about March April last year that was a real life uh, stress test um, I think you know considering the levels of volatility we saw which were extraordinary uh, in fact you know relatively few um, instances of suspensions and so forth uh, but again we need to draw the lessons of that well how did that you know simply carrying excessive cash buffers isn't necessarily managing liquidity appropriately um, what's your strategy what's your approach um, and then in the question of um, uh, swing pricing, I mean, I think um, it, it's, it's clearly it's an important tool. Um, 
Uh, there will be certain types of assets where swing pricing isn't really going to work, so particularly lumpy long-term assets um, uh, where, it, where it, it probably isn't the most appropriate tool, but in a lot of cases it will be. And I think there, is, there are questions um, which are being debated internationally, again, around how consistent practices are and how effective they are, uh, what we're seeing in terms of um, investor behavior around that. So, uh, you know, I think that's still an open discussion. This is part of where uh, the narrative from the industry and their position needs to be clear. I mean, it's really hard to uh, spot trends when the, when the margins are so tight and the, and the um, uh, you know, the swing factors can be quite, quite marginal. So, um, but that's, it's important to, to set out um, a clear position there. And I think, you know, we will evolve our framework as we go. And one clear and important initiative from us recently is, of course, the long-term asset fund, um, where I think uh, applications are open for next week. If you're interested, don't all, uh, please don't all run, come at the same time. Um, but that's, you know, it's showing that actually, you know, there may be occasions when, um, you know, a daily dealing fund isn't appropriate given the asset mix of the fund and, and there are more appropriate ways of, of, of managing that. Now, of course, um, it's a challenge, I think, to get that right, to get that balance right. Um, and of course, uh, it, it requires a degree of sophistication and understanding that you're, uh, you won't be able to necessarily withdraw um, your capital on, a, on demand and there may be a lockup period. So uh, that's something that I think is going to have to be introduced into the ecosystem. But it's really important. Um, it's really important to pursue the government's agenda. It's really important um, for a capital allocation perspective. It's really important for an ESG perspective that we are able to get um, as much capital as possible into uh, sustainable long-term investment. So, and you know, liquidity clearly is an important part of that that fact, that thinking. But obviously, it's it's a much wider policy debate as well. Mm -hmm. I can agree more, Jerry. From the Irish perspective, then, would you agree with with what Nick said? So, so yeah, I agree with an awful lot of, of, of what Nick said. So, I mean, on this question of of, of liquidity, um, I think one of the big, of course, the the heart of the challenge, of course, is how you manage that, let's call it maturity transformation, where you have uh, daily dealing, uh, short-term access, and then longer-term investments. That's a classic uh, challenge in, 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 in a lot of financial services, specifically what we saw uh, in March, April last year. And for me, and this goes back a little bit to Jonathan's point about sort of making sure we don't um, confuse, if you like, prudential regulatory concepts or bank regulatory concepts with uh, fund regulatory concepts. I think that that's right. But I think one thing that we did learn from the previous crisis, 2008, 2010, was that where individual entities, in that case banks, act in their rational self-interest and do the right thing for their investors and stakeholders, collectively that may have a bad outcome for the system as a whole or a suboptimal outcome. And I think we're wrestling with this problem also uh, in, in the context of the fund sector. So um, it, it's, it's that challenge. So we saw on the issue of swing pricing, we, we saw um, that there were a lot, a lot of funds had available to a very, very large number of firms had available to them either swing pricing or anti-dilution levies. Um, some used them, some did not. So there was sort of a mixed picture in terms of, of, of how they were used during that period of crisis. So, so there's something around the collective effectiveness of what's happening. So if we're talking about, again, there's, there's two objectives here. One is investor protection, extremely important. And the other, of course, is systemic stability and resilience, extremely important. And um, when you're talking about the latter, that collective effect is really important. And we do have to think about ways of addressing that. Now, I think my own view 
is that swing pricing mechanisms have a lot of potential in this regard. Um, but if we're to make them work and for them to be effective, there's some really difficult challenges that we need to address. And they are, first of all, how we achieve an outcome whereby they are predictably and consistently used, I think is one challenge. And secondly, and probably the more difficult one is, how are they calibrated? Because they're only effective to the extent that they are calibrated to remove the first mover advantage. So uh, this is at the core of the discussion. Uh, the With funds where you have daily dealing and less liquid assets, there is a really material first mover advantage. Now you can remove that if swing pricing works effectively, but to work effectively, it has to be calibrated. And that, going back to Nick's sort of mention of, of lumpier assets, that I think is the real challenge. So I, I am very keen uh, that over the coming period, regulators and industry put their minds to this problem and sort of think about how do we calibrate mechanisms to try and, uh, and, and take out the first mover advantage dynamic. Thanks. I don't know if you've got any quick remarks. Just, just very briefly. Yep. I mean, there's so much that we agree on. I mean, if you look at the FCA Dear Chair Letter of 2019, the CBI Dear Chair Letter of this year, the emphasis on governance and process, I think the industry is absolutely there, and we're doing a lot to reflect that. Similarly, on inherently illiquid assets, I think it's very clear where you go um, uh, in areas such as, as the LTEP, if not always straightforward. But I think, Jerry, you, you've completely nailed it in, in your description of the debate on swing pricing. I think where we are... Is, is to say we need to have a, a very serious conversation about what first mover advantage means and whether swing pricing can be used to affect behaviour in the way that you suggest. Because I think there's, there is a way in which effective calibration is the effective calibration to treat everybody fairly uh, in the context of investors exiting a fund and those that remain. And I agree that that's challenging. If we are moving to then explicitly try to target behaviours with the way in which we price our funds, we do potentially cross over a line. And I think you recognise that in terms of the discussion about how you protect the wider good and the system and how you balance that with the need to act in the interest of the unit holders of the fund. And I think that's, it's that calibration and, and, and the behavioural impact where I'm not you know, I think the debate has to be had because I'm not sure we're all in the same place yet. Mm. Great, thank you. Um, I, I'm conscious of our time. We've got a couple of minutes before our um, minute silence. So what I'm going to suggest is we pivot slightly because we can't, um, we can't uh, have a panel today on regulatory side of things and not um, focus our minds on sustainability in COP26. So we'll have a rapid fire round on ESG. We'll do our minute silence and leave some time for questions afterwards. Um, so just thinking about that, because I know Jonathan gave his very, uh, very good flight analogy in his uh, opening remarks, which I think is summarised uh, the challenges that our investors and our clients are, are facing. Some of them don't know what they want, some of them want different things, um, and, and we're all heading in multiple different directions. So I suppose uh, for the practitioners in the room, everybody's trying to innovate in this space. For the regulators in, this, trying to in the room, everybody's trying to make sure that there is clarity on it. So it would be really good to get um, Nick and maybe Jerry's view on how that um, the balance is struck between investors' needs, which are obviously different, um, the industry's desire to innovate, and the need to have regulation in this space. Um, so just short remarks so we, we have some time. Yes, um, sure. No, I mean, I, th I think the first thing to say is I think uh, it's a really great opportunity for the industry to demonstrate its value, demonstrate its purpose, 
be clear about um, you know, its, its wider social purpose in allocating capital that's sustainable over the long term. And I think if, if the industry is able to explain that to its investors credibly, then I think uh, that, that speaks to an industry that's really going in the right, uh, the right direction. I think the challenge, though, is that there's mistrust out there, some of it um, misplaced, some of it well-placed um, uh, among investors as to the, the, the claims that, they're, that, that are being made. Um, so we need to get past this. We need to see a transparent approach um, and we need to see trust uh, being ensured throughout. And I think um, the, the, the fact that we've put out um, a strategy, I won't go into the details around it, you can read it, um, is, is really important. And we've obviously been a, a hugely important part of the, um, the International Standards Board uh, for Sustainability that Jonathan mentioned. I mean, that is an absolutely critical um, move, I think, and, and will we'll, we'll hopefully um, square the circle around international consistency, which is a challenge that we, I know we've all been facing. So uh, really positive moves and I think a great opportunity for the, for the industry. Jerry, in 30 seconds, do you uh, agree or anything to add? <laughs> Putting you under pressure. 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so let me, two, two thoughts uh, in 30 seconds. One is, uh, I, was, I was liking Jonathan's uh, building the plane as we're flying analogy. And then I, I sort of thought, but the, the difference is that can't work and this can work. And, and I think that's really, really important. I, th I think we, you know, the, the, um, the level of commitment from all sides uh, to, to achieving uh, the move to, to a, uh, a net zero economy uh, is powerfully there. Uh, and and there's, the incentives can be aligned to make it work. So I think that's really important. Secondly, yeah, you know, there's all this discussion around, rightly discussion around, and, and, and Jonathan mentioned data availability, uh, the implementations of taxonomy, corporate non-financial reporting, and, and the challenges. All, all of that is, 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 is absolutely the case. I think at the heart of success will be uh, the extent to which the financial firms who are seizing the opportunity, a really important opportunity in this space, are, are truly internalizing the spirit and the outcomes that were sought. So, so I think if we, Nick mentioned trust, if we get into a situation where the sort of doubts about what people mean by green, sustainable, et cetera, because uh, it's, it's an opportunity more than a commitment, then it becomes more challenging. So look, I can't do full justice, but I'll stop there, uh, Eve. That's from the impossible, but thank you. Um, we'll move now to just observe a minute's silence um, and uh, we'll come back to questions afterwards. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, so we'll move to uh, some questions now. And I know we've got a roving mic if anybody wants to raise their hand. And then also we've got the uh, Slido app, which 
hopefully we should be able to see on screen. Um, if anybody wants to kick us off in the audience, given we've got all of us in person. Right. So maybe we'll talk about, um, we've got lots of questions coming through here on um, uh, lots, of, lots of very interesting stuff. So let's talk about uh, BIA and FCA. So how do you see um, your relationship with ESMA, Commission, EU Industries, and maybe um, talking about the relationship that you're going to have in the next few years in the wake of, I know comments were made earlier about um, uh, the reviews that are going on at the moment and delegation. Uh, so maybe we'll go to Nick as a starter and, and get Jonathan to, um, to add in something after that. Yeah, I mean, of course it's different. Um, uh, you know, we won't be attending ESMA's board, uh, for example, but nevertheless, we absolutely intend to maintain constructive relationships with um, fellow regulators globally, whether that's you know, in Europe, the US, Asia, or elsewhere, we continue to do so. I would say on the, on the supervision side, and this includes ESMA to the extent we've got, um, ESMA has supervisory responsibilities, we absolutely continue that dialogue and we continue the information sharing that hasn't been um, disrupted uh, at all to, 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 to my mind. So um, I think it, we, we, continue to, we continue to evolve the relationships, of course we do. Um, and it will; those relationships will, will continue to develop. But um, I'm, I'm confident we will um, maintain very constructive relationships. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, I see some questions coming through, and I know it's a topic that, that Jonathan is interested in on uh, assessment of value, um, and looking at uh, whether as managers are taking the question of value seriously, or is it an exercise in, in value washing? Is the question. So, Jonathan, I don't know if you've got any remarks on on that question. Um, yeah, I mean, just if I may, just very, very briefly on the on the first question yeah, as well. Sure. I mean, I think you know we we are clearly now a third country, but we are uh, as an industry, uh, as an investment management centre, an integral part of the wider European market, serving millions of European customers, and therefore our relationship, of course, with the institutions is different. But we remain a member um, of the European Fund and Asset Management Association, EFARMA, and we want to continue to play. Um, a, a very close role uh, in ensuring that the industry can serve European customers. Um, you know, on, on um, the, the, you know, the value piece, the FCA has, has spoken very clearly um, on this this year. We've also um, issued guidance to our firms. This is a process um, that we've always said we, we thought would take up to three years to, to, to fully bed in, um, and there are clearly enhancements that, that still need to be made. Um, but I would, I would sort of at a general level go back to my comments um, in, in, in my opening um, remarks, um, which is to say that we are extremely supportive um, of um, this, this challenge to demonstrate value. And what we want to try to do is move to an environment where we can have a true conversation about value alongside price. Great, thank you. And a final question, maybe for Jerry, uh, just so we, we share the share the questions out. Uh, questions come up on the FSB report, and where do you see the debate going on uh, money market funds? And I suppose where are the CBI's priorities ahead of uh, EU money market reform? If we can still see Jerry. So, uh, th thanks, Eve. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, there's lots of discussions going on in in, in different fora. FSB. And there'll be I also follow on ESRB, um, ESMA, etc. Um, I think, you know, and, and from that, um, I think we see from the FSB report sort of a, a, a menu of, of policy options. That I think things will begin to crystallise and come into focus. Um, I think two things. I mean, one, it is clearly very important that we address those sort of cliff effect dynamics. Another, another thing we learned 
from this period of volatility last year, you know, arising out of the the ten years since the crisis, was that some of those um, liquidity and other measures that were in place, while sound and good, had this sort of cliff effect. So, so important that we we address that. And then beyond that, I think it, it is you know there's we need to address the the, the issue of I, mean, I think we need to think about in general terms the sort of the the dual functions uh, that money market funds function in terms of cash management and short-term funding uh, of, of the economy both, and, and of companies, both very important, and getting the balance right between them. Um, and, and that sort of then manifests in how do you, how do you come back to this question of effectively, it's short-term maturity transformation. So we need to find solutions in the, in the liquidity um, matching, mismatching, the reconciliation of those things in in that space, um, and I think that is um, you know, that that there's there's clearly um, a bit of a gap there at the moment that we need to think about. Uh, I think questions around uh, the types of liquid liquid assets that would help us fill that gap, and and how you think about liquidity uh, are important. But look, that discussion is still to come, so I, so I don't want to to say um, too much at this stage. Thanks. Thanks, Sherry. And um, uh, our time is up. Sarah's coming to the stage. So um, I just, uh, there's lots of other interesting questions in there, stuff coming up on digital assets, which I'm sure could be a panel by itself. Um, so we won't get to that today, unfortunately, but thank you for your interaction. And I'd just like to thank my panelists, uh, Jerry, who's joined us virtually, Jonathan and Nick. Please uh, join me in thanking them.